Hello and welcome. You're watching Big Picture with me, Vishal Dahiya. And today we're going to talk about India's COVID pandemic management. In fact, the daily new cases continue to rise in India during the second wave of COVID pandemic. The country has adopted a five-fold strategy for tackling this recent surge and effective containment and management of the COVID pandemic. For the next half an hour, we'll talk about all these steps which are being taken, what more needs to be done uh, to go ahead and tackle the challenge being posed by the second wave of COVID pandemic. And for more on this, we're joined by two distinguished experts. Let me first introduce them to you, beginning with Urvashi Prasad. She is a public policy specialist with Niti Aayog. Uh, also, we have with us uh, Mr. Shashank Joshi, member of the COVID-19 task force in Maharashtra, one of the most affected states in this second surge. Welcome, both of you, to uh, Big Picture. Let me start with you, Urvashi, and let's start by taking an overview of what exactly it is that we are doing to tackle the second wave of COVID-19 pandemic. Right. So, um, I think, Mushal, there's two major, uh, you know, pieces to this. One is uh, the the standard you know epidemic control management measures a lot of which we've learned over the last uh, year or so need to obviously be very intensified at this stage and I think it's very important to say that while we have built capacity uh, of the health system over the last year in in many different ways um, it is eventually reaching a point where it is getting stretched in many many areas and the numbers are simply too high uh, this time around compared to <coughs> in the last time around. And for this, it's really important that the adherence to COVID-appropriate behaviors, uh, the curbs on all sorts of gatherings, whether these are religious, whether these are political, whether these are social, because the virus doesn't dif differentiate between any of these, uh, cannot be emphasized enough because the more our numbers keep going up, the more our health system keeps getting stretched. So I think that at the outset is very, very important to, uh, to say. But the other measures of testing, uh, first of all, um, you know, we have to do much more testing, especially the, uh, the RT-PCR gold standard, though we have to be aware of its limitations that this time around, especially, uh, we are seeing quite a few false negatives as well. So that is mm -hmm. something that, you know, we are trying to be cognizant of. Uh, and therefore treating people who are symptomatic as, you know, people who might have COVID anyway, regardless of their RT-PCR results. Uh, hospital management, of course, um, is being uh, stepped up in different ways. But again, it's very important that only people who actually need uh, hospitalization, oxygen support land up there. And so therefore our triaging, our monitoring of people uh, remotely who are in isolation or who are at home is very important. So we can give the right advice to who needs to go to a hospital <coughs> who does not. Um, and the second pillar is, of course, the vaccination. Um, and I think we can talk about it in more detail, but we Indeed. do need to intensify coverage of uh, the, the currently eligible groups, which are people above 45. But we might also need to look at in future opening this up further. Uh, and hopefully, as the basket of vaccines expands, we might be able to do it because this wave, as we can see, uh, is also affecting younger people <clears> and younger people are also becoming more seriously ill. So I think those are two things, you know, two two parallel tracks in summary, I would say, which are which are you know the most important at this time. Indeed, uh, those are uh, the uh, you know broad uh, measures. Uh which uh, need to be taken and which are being worked upon right now on the ground uh, by uh, various uh, set of people uh, there in uh, working uh, on the front lines. Let me also bring in uh, Mr. Shashank Joshi here, uh, the member of COVID-19 Task Force in Maharashtra. Mr. Joshi, Maharashtra is one of the states which has been 
reeling under this particular surge for quite a few weeks now. Uh, one, uh, first, of course, we'd like to know what's the situation on the ground out there in various cities, uh, various parts of the state, and also what is it that is being done to go ahead and tackle, uh, you know, this time around uh, the challenge seems to be a bit more, uh, uh, you know, intense and much bigger than what we faced during the first wave. Absolutely right, Vishal. Vishalji, two things. One is that Maharashtra situation remains grim. And uh, we are in a warlike situation because of the explosive and tsunami-like rise of cases. As we rightfully know that 80% uh, of COVID is asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic and can be efficiently managed at home. Mm -hmm. And this explosive nature created the biggest problem because these people were asymptomatic, were an invisible pool and kept on spreading till we had these exponential numbers. Currently, the situation in Mumbai, Pune are showing for the last whole week, day after day, a situation of plateauing. So that's something which is something to be of solace. And we hope and pray that these numbers across other places like Nasik, which is very badly affected, Nagpur, which is showing some signs, Nanded, which is showing some signs. So there are some geographies where the clustering has started coming down, the numbers have started plateauing. We had two challenges. One was the testing challenge. We were testing very less in the beginning. Uh, just a month and a half back, we were testing only 30,000 cases per day, 30,000 tests per day. Now we have ramped it up to two and a half lakhs. And even now our RT-PCR percentage remains around 70. But we have stretched our capacity now of RT-PCR. We can't do more because we don't have more labs. And then, of course, we are trying to do whatever rest is by rapid antigen. But now we are trying to explore and tie up with the CSIR to get this CRISPR Faluda technology from Tata MD and many other innovative ways to scale up our testing further. Mm -hmm. So testing part is now reasonably under control. And second is, of course, aggressive treatment. The most deserving people need to get treated. We do have shortages of oxygen. We do have to triage. So we have a simple ATM policy. Assess the case after assessing triage or transfer based on the risk profile and the symptoms and the uh, underlying vulnerability of the individual. And then, of course, manage them appropriately, either at home or in institutional quarantine or in um, terms of uh, managing them in the hospitals. In Mumbai, though, we have ramped up and added 3,000 capacities. Mumbai, the dashboard never actually had a deficit of beds, even as of today or throughout this last one month, because we were the ground zero last year and mm -hmm. we were fully ready for the same. But the only problem which we have had is shortage of some of the supplies related to oxygen and some of these drugs, which don't impact mortality like remdesivir, but definitely improve clinical recovery. You know that remdesivir can shorten the stay in the hospital by one to three days and definitely is a class 2B indication. So that, we had a little shortage of that. We also mm -hmm. have some shortages of tocilizumab, which is another drug which is there, and italizumab. So we have had shortages, but we are triaging and ensuring that the most deserving patients get the treatment. And the uh, there is continuously the other thing which people had, were not aware of. And we, we have kept our mortality rate down, and we have also tried to ensure that the recovery rate is pretty good. And the this so-called fast-spreading strain appears to be a little less virulent, but we are overwhelmed by the large number of cases. The sheer number of cases is actually denting our back. That's the first thing. And the second thing, which, you know, second thing which, which we are seeing now is that clearly that the health care system is stretched out. But the new restrictions in place definitely are helping us to organize them better. In Mumbai, we have added 3,000 more beds and four more jumbos so that we can ensure that. And also, we are not trying to Keep people in the hospitals if they this is a better socioeconomic strata of the society which has got the virus this time it is not a poorer class the middle class the new rich class 
So once they are a little better under medical supervision, digital care, they can move to five-star hotels. We have even procured more than 8,000 rooms in five-star hotels so that they can move so that they don't block the bed, so that the most deserving people can occupy the hospital beds. So I think we are in a better disaster response than compared to last time, much more organized. But definitely the sheer, uh, you know, the explosive numbers uh, have definitely strained our resources. And there are some... Indeed, indeed, Mr. Joshi, the sheer increase in numbers is, is something which uh, uh, poses a big challenge out there. But, uh, you know, two points uh, from uh, what you said right now, and I'd like to uh, bring them uh, to Urvashi here. Urvashi, as uh, Mr. Joshi is pointing out, and it is pretty much clear, evident, uh, not only in Maharashtra, but uh, in some other states as well, uh, in the national capital, that uh, there's a lot of stress on the health infrastructure because of the sheer number, increase in the number of uh, positive cases. Uh, now, the question is, uh, obviously, that stress will be managed effectively by those working on the ground, uh, uh, like Mr. Joshi himself. But what more needs to be done in terms of measures uh, to be taken? Uh, are these steps which have been taken by some states in terms of putting in place a weekend curfew or night curfews or certain more restrictions uh, Will this help further uh, in, in, in bringing down a bit of a pressure on the health infrastructure or maybe a, a few more steps are required there? Yeah, so I think, uh, Vishal, and this is something the Delhi uh, chief minister also uh, articulated very clearly that, you know, nobody wants to uh, put down very strict curbs or, you know, lockdown-like restrictions at this time um, because we've been through that last year and we, of course, know uh, that the poorest segments of society, the migrant workers, the underprivileged, bear the worst brunt of that. So I think that is something that is, is very, very clear that we only really want to do that uh, when we feel that the health system is at a point uh, when it would simply not be able to cope uh, if the cases continue to increase in this fashion. And so therefore, I think the states as of now have taken more calibrated measures, whether these are short, uh, you know, weekend curfews or whether these are, you know, curbs on various activities, but have still not gone in necessarily uh, totally for that full-fledged lockdown, because I think everybody is aware uh, of the downsides and the impact of that on the poorest, but it has to be balanced out with the health system. Uh, and if the capacity of the health system uh, keeps getting stretched to a level where it simply cannot manage, um, then we would not be left with any choice. And I think that is where uh, people's behavior also comes in and plays a very, very big role. Um, because the more we can be conscious, the more we can stay away from gathering situations that we can avoid, the more we can continue to adhere to uh, all the COVID-appropriate behaviors that we have actually learned uh, over the last one year and bring that uh, knowledge into use right now, uh, it would really help the health system. It would really help the governments. So I think that is mm -hmm. the most important. Yes, the vaccination is now a very important tool that we have with us, but we have to remember that its biggest goal still is to prevent uh, deaths is to is to save more lives, but it doesn't necessarily cut down transmission. Uh, so all the standard uh, methods that we have at our disposal of the masking, the hand hygiene, and really, really minimizing uh, any any sort of uh, you know gatherings or or physical interactions with with other people to the extent we can, mm -hmm. uh, those are still the most important even today. Uh, as, as much as they were before. So I think it's very important if we want to not have to go into these extreme lockdown-like situations again, 
we need to do our bit uh, to try and minimize the pressure on the health system. Of course, the health system has to gear up and, and you know, there are several measures being taken, as was just uh, elucidated. But it would not work, uh, you know, if, if the behavioral uh, mechanisms are also not enforced at a very strong uh, level at this stage. Okay, Mr. Joshi, uh, would you uh, agree to what, uh, you know, uh, Urushi is pointing out out there that, you know, public advocacy, more, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of community-based uh, approach on uh, ensuring that uh, uh, situation remains in control, specifically, you know, the way out uh, in terms of uh, bringing down that undue pressure on the health infrastructure, because we know that uh, there is a limitation up to which the health infra will be able to take the load. And as Arushi is pointing out, we will have to ensure that we manage that load somehow so that the increase in cases, the surge in cases, uh, does not uh, over overwhelm the entire system. Vishalji, I 100% agree with her. Because, you see, there is there has to be zero tolerance for non-adherence to COVID-appropriate behavior. There's absolutely zero tolerance. We can't afford to lax out at all. You have to mask or double mask. We understand better that it's an airborne droplet. We have to distance. There's no question asked about it. We have to sanitize. We have to avoid crowds and we have to avoid poorly ventilated spaces. These are the big five of COVID appropriate behavior. And, you know, we can't keep on getting wave. This is second wave. We'll have a third wave and a fourth wave and a fifth wave. We have to intercept it. And if you ask me, the three pillars are, of course, masking, sanitization, distancing, but reducing or zero crowds or avoiding crowded environment, avoiding poorly ventilated spaces are mandatory. And the fourth pillar is, of course, immunize the vulnerable above 45, but also below 45. People who have comorbidities are equally at risk to die from COVID. And probably I'm certain that in their wisdom, the central government will take a decision that at least people below 45 with comorbidities who are vulnerable to die probably will be included in the basket. And with the upscaling of vaccines, more vaccines coming up, I'm certain in the next couple of weeks we'll see this coverage expansion, at least to the vulnerable groups or the comorbidities below 45. So I completely agree with her that we have to have zero tolerance and some punitive action if required. Look east, look at how Taiwan, to Singapore, to, to even Thailand, small countries uh -huh. have handled. They have handled it exceptionally just by simple masking or whether it is New Zealand or Australia. So I think we need to follow them rather than looking at the West. And I think we need to have mandatory masking and absolute zero tolerance. Still, we don't achieve that. All this hard work, which is 24-7 by our frontline and healthcare workers, is, is, is really can be avoidable. So I think prevention is always better. And I think a proactive advocacy role in the local languages, in people who understand, through a very strong information, education, counseling campaign, is the need of the hour. There's no two ways about that. I completely agree with you. Okay. Mr. Joshi, you also spoke uh, initially in your first response about how, you know, uh, and, and Urvashi also referred to it, testing obviously is, uh, and tracing is, is one of the key uh, elements of this battle against COVID-19. Uh, also, a very important element there is genome sequencing, where we, you know, understand uh, uh, the way the virus is uh, uh, trying to uh, mutate various variants out there. Where do we stand on, on, on the genome sequencing part there? Because we need to further understand and, and as you point out, you know, intercept the movement of the virus. Well, that's true. Uh, but we have some of the best genome labs in the world. We have the NCCS, we have the CCMB, we have an Institute of Genomics Functional Research in Faridabad. We have the NIV. So I think we have some of the best genome scientists. The only challenge there is that we need a better correlation between what we see 
clinically as a phenotype and what we see as a genome. So currently they have been able to map in some geographies and some clusters of India a correlation. But that correlation has not been robust. So definitely genomic surveillance needs to continue because we should not land up the Brazil way or the South African way where we know that there's a P1 or a P2 coming up in Brazil or South Africa had their own strains. You know the UK strain is already there in Delhi. You know there's a double mutant in the Vidarbha region in 20% of the population. So, but remember that genome sequences are costly. They are expensive. But at least India is in the prime time. It has the technology wherewithal and a scientific milieu and scientists who can actually turn around the genome sequences in 48 hours to an, a week. And I think that is available with us and we are enriched with the CSR and, and ICMR labs. So I think we are we need to be a little more proactive and we need to have a better correlation, but I'm certain that this thing is there. But remember the public health strategy doesn't change independent of the variant of concern. So that's a very, very important thing for people to realize. A lot of people cannot use this as an excuse that we have a variant of concern. So we have a double mutant, but for a double mutant treatment strategy is the same. Mm -hmm. The outcome is the same. And the public health strategy needs to be ramped up tenfold because you need to mask much more, you need to distance much more, and therefore it's very, very crucial that the transmissibility may be more. But the severity or the fatality is not more, it may be even less. So it's very crucial to understand that the public health strategy still remains the same. The treatment protocol still remains the same, but the public health strategy needs or COVID-appropriate behavior adherence needs to be more aggressive. And that's the take-home which I get from the genomic data which has emerged from our country, that don't mm -hmm. get scared that new mutant has come, it new mutant has double mask, and keep spreading This is very, very important for people to understand. Rather than fear and panic, using some WhatsApp and social media and fake news, it is better that they get informed that the strategy has to be more aggressive and the treatment remains the same. And that's something which is very important that we educate. And I'm happy, Vishalji, that you have been constantly doing this endeavor for the last couple of months. And we need to continue educating our population at large. Indeed, uh, and this has been only possible uh, because of the uh, help uh, from, uh, you know, experts like you and Urvashi and several other scientists who've been, uh, you know, kind enough uh, to give us time, make us understand, make our viewers understand uh, various aspects of this battle against COVID-19. Let's now move to this this important aspect of uh, the strategy against uh, this, this particular pandemic. And uh, both of you have mentioned it in your responses so far. That is uh, the ramping up vaccination part. Uh, Urvashi, both, you know, not only in terms of uh, having more options, as we know, there'll be uh, the third vaccine, the Sputnik uh, vaccine, which will be easily uh, available in the next few weeks or maybe a month's time, but also increasing the manufacturing capacity and the strategy as well, as uh, Mr. Joshi is pointing out, perhaps, you know, retweaking the strategy here, we will have to do that. Yes, absolutely. So I think, you know, one is, of course, on the pool of vaccines itself available and, and the Russian one, uh, of course, we should hopefully see uh, very soon, uh, you know, within 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 a month, if, if not earlier. But there's also other vaccines which have been established, uh, which have been approved by established regulators uh, in, in Europe, in Japan, uh, which could be given fast track emergency uh, authorization here. Uh, so I think th those are very, very important measures to first just expand our basket of vaccines. Um, manufacturing, yes, definitely, even the vaccines that we currently have available, um, there is an emphasis and there are steps that we are taking to, to try and boost the, the production, uh, even of the two that we currently have available um, in the country. Uh, 
Um, mm-hmm. And then I would also say that, you know, we still have, uh, a, you know, a lot of logistical issues, operational issues that we also need to iron out. Often with vaccines, we just end up talking of the manufacturing. But there's a lot that happens in the distribution part as well, which I think as center and states, we need to work together and we also need to continually iron out those issues as well so that what we have available uh, is actually reaching uh, the people eventually because you know that's that's a long uh, chain as well from the point a vaccine is manufactured to it reaching the the last mile um, but yes i think in terms of the actual uh, groups i think the initial prioritization was very clear that it was based on the fact that we were seeing maximum fatalities in people above uh, 45 especially those with comorbidities but that picture is certainly changing now we are seeing many younger people getting it um, those with comorbidities of course being at higher risk um, but even people who who seemingly don't have comorbidities but are much younger are actually developing more advanced symptoms getting pneumonia getting into hospital so i think definitely the pri- prioritization uh, of the groups also needs to be really looked at and hopefully that will be done once we have more vaccines at our disposal and we have this new data uh, from this you know second wave or you know whatever we might like to call it we have this data that we do need to also cover for younger people especially those uh, who have comorbidities so so i think both those um aspects uh, are being looked at to some extent but we mm-hmm. might need to also relook at some of these aspects especially the prioritization part Okay Mr Joshi uh, do you do you agree with Urvashi out there that when we talk about vaccination uh, you know a, a bit a bit more better coordinated effort uh, is is required towards the distribution end of this of this entire supply chain of vaccines obviously we will need to have more options we will have one uh, more added to the basket as both of you are pointing out the manufacturing capacity is being worked upon but uh, you know the distribution end is is where you know a bit more coordinated effort is required Raj Urvashi ji has mentioned that the logistics distribution and better center to state coordination by respective stakeholders is a key cog and i think it has been digitalized very beautifully on the covin app so you know at a, at a click of a button you are able to actually track it and track a vaccine and vaccine uh, not only supply logistics chain but also its administration so i think this is uh, one of the world's largest vaccination programs and i think we are going through our learning curves uh, we have started slow but now it's rising exponentially we need to beat all the vaccine hesitancy and we need to ensure that the most vulnerable get vaccinated and the eligible population we need to increase the coverage of the eligible population we need to reduce our wastages mm-hmm. we need to use innovative mechanisms to get it done currently what is happening is all our covid care centers are also the covid vaccination centers and therefore we might need to think a little out of the box and i'm certain that government of india has excellent uh, think tank which will think out of the box to ensure that more centers can be opened up like workplaces they have just passed an order that from workplace environments they'll be able to do vaccination drives maybe using general practitioners or pediatricians or adult physicians so we'll have to keep on it's an open and a live environment see Indeed. Uh, you know covid covid has to be evolving and in the evolving world of vaccination i think the strategies have to be inclusive and open and that's what madam urvashi ja i mean urvashi prasad has mentioned and i think that's something which we welcome and i think we'll have to keep working together as one team one india because Indeed. that is the need of that 
Indeed, uh, that is uh, the need of the art. And as both of you are pointing out uh, clearly, uh, the strategy will have to evolve uh, as per the situation. It's, it is a, a dynamic situation, the battle against COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much, uh, Urvashi, as well as uh, Shashank Joshi for sharing your views and insights on how India is tackling this recent surge of uh, cases uh, of COVID-19 across the country. And as our panelists were pointing out, uh, there are various aspects of the strategy, not only testing and uh, tracing, but also ensuring that not too much extra load is put on the health infrastructure. All of us will have to do our bit. We have done it uh, in the first wave. We can do it again. We can come out victorious, but that will require a lot of efforts uh, to be made individually as well as as a community and society. And as our panelists have been pointing out, let us remind you once again about uh, the one big step which all of us need to ensure, that is COVID-19 appropriate behavior, a simple three-step process which all of us need to follow, that is wear your mask at all times, especially when you are in touch with others or in public spaces. Also ensure that you wash your hands regularly and hygiene is really important and so is physical distancing, ensuring that you maintain a distance of at least six feet from others while being in public places. These three simple steps will go a long way in keeping you, your loved ones, as well as everybody else in the society and the country safe and secure from COVID-19. We'll come back again. Till then, keep watching. Stay safe. Welcome to The Big Picture, I'm Tina Jha. The Council of Ministers met on Friday to discuss the situation arising out of the second wave of coronavirus in the country. The Council of Ministers meeting noted that the present pandemic is once in a century crisis, which has thrown a big challenge for the entire world. Prime Minister Narendra Modi said all arms of the government currently are working unitedly and rapidly to deal with the ongoing situation. In fact, the Prime Minister also urged the ministers to stay in touch with the people of their respective regions, help them and keep getting their feedback as well. He stressed upon the need to ensure that issues at the local level are promptly identified and then addressed. On Thursday, the centre had directed all states and union territories to go for intensive and local containment measures in the districts which are seeing a high caseload also granting legal force to an April 25 advisory issued by the Health Ministry. The Ministry of Home Affairs had issued an order under the Disaster Management Act for its immediate implementation by the states and the union territories. So as per the advisory, the states and the union territories have been asked to identify districts where either the positivity rate is more than 10% or where bed occupancy is more than 60%. Districts fulfilling any of these criteria should be considered for taking intensive containment measures. That's what the MHA order says. And it order, uh, the order also states that national directives for COVID management, which require the basic uh, rules that we have been following, that is wearing a face masks and social distancing in public places, encouraging work from home shall continue to be strictly followed.
All district magistrates have, uh, they are in fact required to strictly enforce implementation of these measures. So on the big picture today, we will analyze with experts the containment measures. How effective are they in breaking the chain of transmission? Will they help flatten the curve of the second wave, which has hit India severely? And what more immediate measures would be required on part of each one of us to fight the second wave of the pandemic? So to discuss all of these aspects and much more, I'm joined on the program by two distinguished panelists. Let me introduce them to you. I have with me Dr. Raman R. Ganga Khedkar, member National Task Force for COVID-19, and Dr. C.G. Pandit, National Chair of the ICMR, and Dr. K. Madan Gopal, Senior Consultant Health, Niti Ayo. Thank you to both my guests for joining me on this edition of The Big Picture. Dr. Madan Gopal, let me begin the program today with you because the Council of Ministers met today to discuss the ongoing crisis posed by the second wave, and they noted that the current pandemic is once in a century crisis that the world is facing. As India grapples with this massive second wave of the outbreak, where the priority has once again come to saving lives, what are the immediate efforts that have been undertaken to try and contain the situation, which seems to be spiraling out of control? Uh, <clears throat> second wave has caught us uh, unaware. That means uh, we were expecting this, that some surge will happen. But suddenly the spike has happened so fast that whatever preparedness uh, which were suggested, they were not found, they were found, not found to be adequate. One of the priorities now is to save lives. And for any pandemic is to reduce the mortality as well as uh, preventing the chain of transmission, that the transmission of infection. For that, uh, two parameters, as we have rightly pointed out, that the positivity as well as the, the occupancy, bed occupancy in the hospitals, that has been identified. And the states have been asked to identify such districts and uh, institute some uh, containment measures there. The containment measures have been uh, uh, given in the form of a directive, which have been issued uh, uh, by Ministry of Home Affairs, uh, I think day before yesterday or uh, in a day, they have issued this thing and it has to be followed. Basically, it talks about the uh, the guidelines, uh, it talks about the strategies for uh, containing this epidemic, the new surge. And the second thing, it talked about the what uh, individual level precautions we have to take, then what public health response is required and how the containment measures uh, are to be taken in these areas. Side by side, what is going on? Because uh, uh, based on the uh, consumption pattern and based on the experience, first priority is pre pre preventing deaths. For that, uh, you might have seen that uh, at the highest level, uh, they are monitoring the oxygen supply. If you look at the consumption pattern of the uh, this uh, COVID patients, out of 100 COVID patients, uh, 80 can be uh, 80 can be managed at the home. And 17 require some isolation beds, of which 50% will require your oxygen support. And 3% require critical care, of which 0.4%. That's the statistic, that's the consumption pattern which we have seen during the first week and during the, uh, till the month of uh, February. Having said this, uh, if you look at the requirement, because oxygen, the hypoxia, the disease causes. Hypoxia. If you are able to manage the hypoxia, you are able to at least uh, prevent the criticality and reduce the mortality. That's the first priority now. And uh, on a war footing, this hypoxia, that means the oxygen shortage and other things are being addressed. You might have seen a lot of things happening on the oxygen front. 
apart from the oxygen thing they have been efforts in seeing that uh, how the capacities are ramped up in the quickly quickly because uh, we had some isolation beds the uh, covid care center the quarantine beds we have made plenty of them but they were not used the isolation beds were also there as uh, the cases uh, such came down and we started using it for non covid purpose now majority of the cases uh, we have just uh, uh, reversed the earlier thing that we now we are again focusing on using the available capacities for covid care only because our first priority is to see that how the patients lives are safe and the transmission is also reduced okay so, yes. uh, dr raman ganga kidkar uh, do you also think that the second wave has caught us unprepared in the first wave we, we were more than prepared we had been taking preemptive measures and that's why the damage done to india was not as much as it, it we've already seen in the first few weeks of the second wave that has hit us so when we aim towards reducing transmission we're seeing the center has directed states and the uts to implement intensive and local containment measures what are the kind of containment measures that local authorities should go for so as to break the chain of transmission in the current scenario where the priority once again is on protecting lives as well as livelihoods this time see there is a big difference in first wave and second wave one thing which we have to realize in the first wave we were, we were trying to stop the imported infections from other countries no whether it was china whether it was far east countries or italy some countries in the europe and even for that matter saudi arabia or dubai so essentially the entire time that we got through lockdown was utilized for ensuring that the spread doesn't occur yeah but now when the second wave comes in the second wave what is what is the most damaging aspect that one needs to recognize the infection has already the seeds of infection are sown in different states different districts and then in the second wave you will find that it's more like a community transmission that we used to be asked about yes. now when that starts happening the rise in number of infections continues to be very stiff no but did we ever expect that it would be as sharp as we had seen perhaps not i think what is also important for us to remember is if we want to stop this particular infection from growing at a rate at which it is growing or even the challenge that it is throwing to healthcare infrastructure lockdown is absolutely no no situation nationally now if you have to lockdown only ensures that the mobility of individuals is restricted and therefore their exposure will be lesser and the number of people who would be infected would be lesser but here the seeds are all across so lockdown can never serve a purpose at a national level so what do you do you go for calibrated lockdowns and what do we exactly mean by calibrated lockdowns no you might you know look at the gradient that could be there it could be a district where the lockdown could occur it could be a small town or a city where lockdown could come in the lockdown could be complete or partial you look at lockdowns at the level of apartment complex no you try to restrict movement of those when you detect x number of cases then you think in terms of reducing the mobility of an infected person by looking at the flats where which he is occupying so lockdown 
is always a calibrated approach at in this particular level because one needs to understand one thing that when you put lockdown they earlier we had to take the risk because it was imported infection but if you look at balancing health outcome versus the outcomes related to economy the livelihood issues you will have to look at both now because the infection is very much here you have to try and ensure that the damage that could occur to the economy is going to last far longer compared to the damage that you may have to uh, face as of now now if that is a situation it's always calibrated lockdown and at the same time we must remember even calibrated lockdown loses its effectiveness the lower we start going down because the efficacy is lost as you start going down and what is more important for us to understand if people are going to stay in the home no if lockdown is put in and if i am an infected person i am more likely to transmit that infection to almost all my family members or people with whom i come in contact because safe distancing is not possible at home houses are generally ill ventilated and in urban areas you will find that the risk continues to be higher but the bigger challenge is going to come not from the urban area the way we are seeing at present alone but it's going to be rural area because if the demand is not coming from rural area perhaps it's also a reflection of low testing that is going on mm. and then they don't have access to hospitals also i think that's a twin challenge that we will have to uh, we will have to handle we may have to have differentiated strategies to provide uh, testing and care in urban and rural setups and it will happen across in the country absolutely so what kind of preparations would that require is something that i'll come back to you dr ganga kedkar but at the moment dr madan gopal now that we are in a situation where our hospitals are already overwhelmed we are witnessing acute shortage of essential medicines oxygen to say all of that of course we understand is being procured the production is being ramped up but the most fundamental thing at the moment is to have a structure that supports patients at home which is uh, i think very very essential because that will lessen burden on our uh, hospitals the people will not panic anymore if such a structure is in place perhaps when we were witnessing the end of the first wave that was there in some districts now we understand due to the surge that structure supporting patients at home is now lacking but that being a major factor in reducing the burden of our health infrastructure are any efforts being made on that front because what we are seeing at the moment is people are panicking and as dr raman ganga kedkar also said a lot of people are rushing to hospitals for fear of not infecting their family members that fear is quite uh, true because uh, in the home settings because not many homes they have more than one toilet that's the reality we have to accept that if a person is positive he has to be there previously we have constructed that uh, quarantine centers uh, around uh, 10 lakh quarantine uh, beds were there but they were not used that much as the load was not uh, up to this extent you are very right in saying that the structure which was there previously for uh, providing home based care but side by side another converse thing is also happening there are now many many uh hospitals they are providing uh, to home based consultation that kind of services are now being offered 
but the main problem to address is engaging with the community if you are providing home based care you have to see that how you engage with the community that's a very crucial thing which is missing now efforts are being made to link the communities so that they can at least schedule uh, that person reduce the uh, uh, anxiety and reduce the panic which has been created even in the home situation if you talk about hypoxia and every people are rushing with anxiety the moment anxiety is there panic is there you will have a fall in the oxygen levels in your body as well and the moment the anxiety and the panic is reduced then you will find that uh, 3 4 percentage points of hypoxia is improved so that kind of engagement uh, is, is to be taken efforts are made but uh, very serious efforts are to be made in the form of a public movement so that uh, this uh, non government organization the civil societies the communities uh, they are involved and engaged at large that's the only key because home isolation we talk but whom to isolate that's the decision which you have to take if you look at delhi what is happening people with oxygen saturation less than 85 they don't want to go to hospitals they want to be treated in home as a result you might have seen people rushing for oxygen cylinder and that cylinder is uh, been provided at the home and uh, they are getting uh, oxygen at the home itself that's one aspect to so home isolation definitely is the key for managing this kind of surges uh, uh, and apart from that remember that uh, when we were projecting we were making projection we just tried to uh, took the normalized figure for us during the time in september where we thought that ki if if the at that time us was speaking at 210 the cases per million per day and we tried to extrapolate that into the indian population it was coming to around 3.3 million uh, 3.3 uh, uh, lakh cases per day and if you look at the surges which this uk us and uh, israel they, these are the countries which have gone far ahead with this they have touched a surge of around the 600 to 900 cases per million cases per million per day we have still yet to reach that figure we have to, uh, we are just hovering between 200 to 250 and uh, you have seen the catastrophe which is creating which is but i think i think our huge population also is another disadvantage and that is what has led this to this overwhelming of our health infrastructure but uh, dr ganga kedkar pandemics we understand are difficult to predict but looking at the devastation that it is already causing it's heartbreaking to see so many faces become memories uh, suddenly by when can we expect the second wave to die down before it wreaks more havoc in the country how can we flatten the curve now i would perhaps not uh, not ever say as to when it would end uh, uh, for two reasons one everything that you do in modeling is based on assumptions now for assumptions what becomes more important you know you can't just look at a curve and you decide we will find in a country which is as large as india where the heterogeneity of this outbreak is also very high you look at even healthcare infrastructure which would be heterogeneous and then you suddenly find access to testing tends to be variable in different places you also find that in different places the test positivity rates are also differing and then you look at an absolute number and try to think about it to me that's not not Uh, a good science or a robust science i would not venture into it but the same at the same time i would say by and large no 
when it comes to any wave to come down it essentially looks at the vulnerable population that is outside now once it gets infection or gets exposed things tend to become different and if you look at what has happening across in on the second wave side you find that on an average it tends to last for a period which could be about 4 months in a smaller geographic unit no it cannot be that we can compare a european country with a country like india where each country perhaps could be accommodated in india so essentially no what we have to think is maximally it could be that you would have about 4 months time but at the same time one must also respect that if people decide to make the change if they feel that 95% of the people would use the covid appropriate behavior adhere to it very strictly if all 45 plus population is willing to get uh, themselves vaccinated if rational treatments tend to follow no where perhaps you would have rational hospitalization rational approaches of providing whatever treatment we have they can still bring it down earlier and that's the reason why i would not hazard a guess because you know eventually you know that all the guesses that have been made so far in last one and a half years were found to be wrong it's easier to my mind to go for poll predictions you may be more accurate compared to what you see in covid in cases of pandemic okay <laughs> uh, uh, by international comparison dr madan gopal our resistance to this pandemic in the first wave was much much better now that we have been hit by this massive uh, second wave the biggest hope is that of vaccination so scaling up a vaccination is something that obviously is being termed as the key to contain the second wave and also prevent a possible future third wave that decision is something that is uh, welcomed by the government to expand it to all above 18 but then the biggest challenge that we are facing towards our vaccination drive is that of shortage of vaccines how do we take care of this because if we are to vaccinate a significant population in a very less time that is how do we ensure that it happens smoothly it's very difficult question uh, to answer because uh, right from the beginning uh, if you recall the uh, statements given by the uh, given in the press information bureau that means we are having finite supply and manufacturing of the vaccines in the country it's not a infinite supply wherever finite supplies are there that means you have to prioritize your population you have to see that how the prioritized population uh, the mortality in the prioritized population is reduced that's why uh, across the globe <coughs> this prioritization has happened and we have also followed the same prioritization protocol that means the people who are more susceptible more vulnerable for uh, that they have been prioritized for this uh, initially we started with a 60 plus population then 45 plus population that's one thing one aspect that means uh, by july we have targeted to reach uh, this population of, of around 30 30 crores by july but if you look at the production of the vaccination in the country that's finite that means uh, right uh, <clears throat> right from the beginning uh, we have the capacity to produce around uh, around 8 uh, crore vaccination uh, uh, per month 8 crore doses per month and you look at the number we are having now 12 crore first dose people who have been given first dose vaccination we have to give them second dose 
we have to cover the remaining uh, uh, population of this 45 plus that means around uh, 14 15 crore population is remaining and now we have to inoculate the 18 plus population that is around 60 crores sputnik is also coming the third vaccine is also coming but the unless the indigenous productions are ramped up so it's very difficult to cope up with this required that's why we have to prioritize and we have to see that the first of priority groups are complete then uh, the other thing it is a welcome step that uh, every vaccine is there but we are hoping that the other uh, foreign vaccines also coming to india and they start supplying so that the pressure on the domestic manufacturers has eased out. So apart from that, side by side uh, efforts are being made to ramp up the domestic manufacturing capacities. Efforts are going on. Suppose if I start want to manufacture today, uh, some ramp up facilities there. It takes around three months to uh, have the facility to uh, start rolling the next batch of vaccines. That kind of effort is required. It's not that the government is not serious about. They have been thinking. They are working. Uh, since last September to ramp up the existing capacity. It's not that it's, uh, they have started today. It, that thought is already there and they are already in the process of ramping up. I think we will be in the coming days, you can hear good news about the other vaccines and other things. That kind of hope is always there. Yeah, yeah, and we are all largely hopeful that uh, because in terms of registrations, the response has been quite good. Now we are all hopeful that uh, the states begin this vaccination drive very, very soon. Uh, Dr. Ganga Khedkar, how, what kind of difference will the vaccination drive make to this uh, second wave, which is wrecking havoc in the country? So, or could there be more such waves in the future? How should we be prepared, not just in terms of ramping up our vaccination, as Dr. Madan Gopal said, but also in terms of other uh, measures that we should continue to take so as to prevent a possible third wave? One thing which I would say is, how do you handle second wave? If you have to handle with vaccine as one of the only strategy that you have, in addition to COVID-appropriate behavior, we need to roll out a vaccine rapidly because this is not a vaccine perfect in its sense that it is able to prevent the transmission of infection. Yes. It only prevents the adverse impact that you could have with respect to severe COVID disease or death that is associated with it. So rapid rollout of a population which is 45 plus which is known to be vulnerable, most vulnerable, is an essential thing for to my mind. Now, will this even help? Even at this point in time, it does help. If you actually look at one of the best examples that has come, apart from Israel and USA and UK, that is most often talked of, let's look at a developing country similar to us, and that's Chile. Now, in Chile, the entire wave was so sharp. You know, they were also crumbling at that juncture. But what they did was they went ahead with a massive drive towards vaccination. And the number of lives that they could, sh uh, they could save was so huge that it make, made a whole, whole lot of sense in terms of handling this outbreak. So you need to proceed fast ahead. Now, how do you proceed ahead when you have issues with vaccine supplies? I think it is important to look at different platforms. You know? Not all viral vaccine development platforms are scalable. Now, let us look at inactivated vaccine that Bharat Biotech has produced. You can't ramp it up supplies in a very short period of time. 
similarly for adenovirus you no know, based vector based vaccine where we are trying to support both you no know, the astrazeneca as well as sputnik vaccine it's very very difficult to ramp up quickly but at the same time if i use mrna based vaccines mrna vaccines are very easily rampable so we will need to take a crucial decision as to what kind of a mix of these vaccines can be produced fortunately for us we have one of the companies which is already trying to develop its own mrna vaccine using a replication competent uh, uh, virus but we could even think in terms of patent pooling and getting those patents of established vaccines outside and use our biotechnology base to try to produce more of them based on mrna technology that will be perhaps a useful thing even if people get single dose no it makes a difference you know you can you can see that kind of a change that occurs in epidemic curves across in the world the first dose alone makes so much of a difference let the second dose happen as time passes by you may have to rely on different technologies and move ahead i think the answer essentially lies with a rapid rollout but this rollout is also going to be fraught with some challenges because the moment you start thinking in terms of rollouts in priority groups you will find that the variants will come up so it it would also essentially mean that you may have to ensure that you would have research and development capacity well developed to identify another booster dose or develop a booster dose against the newer variant which could be challenging for the efficacy of the vaccine in preventing transmission i think Absolutely. we need the comprehensive step the challenge of course is very very huge uh, before india our population in a way seems to have magnified the crisis it will also perhaps elongate the time that we might take to overcome this crisis but as we have shown in the first wave we have been able to uh, show resistance to this pandemic in the first year which was in fact by international comparisons very very remarkable and hopefully we will be able to sail through tide over this crisis as well as both our panelists are pointing out so with that i'll have to call it a wrap on this edition of the big picture thank you once again to both my guests for joining me on the program and sharing your perspective with us and our viewers pleasure having you on the show take care of yourselves and your families also to our viewers i want to make an appeal do take care of yourselves stay at home if you can but if you have to step out make sure you are masked up make sure you maintain physical distancing and also keep washing your hands at regular intervals these are basic precautions that will help us on our part these are responsibilities that we must as citizens ensure these are covid guidelines we have to follow we have been doing so for the past one year and because the second wave has hit us really hard it's all the more important for us to follow covid appropriate behavior so take care of yourselves and your families i'll see you again same time tomorrow thank you once again for your time Welcome to the big picture. I am Tina Jha. 
India is witnessing a massive second wave of coronavirus infections. The daily new cases are touching an all-time high, overwhelming our healthcare systems. A number of high caseload states are currently under lockdown, or several other similar restrictions have been put in place, like weekend curfew and night curfews. While there is no indication so far of a pan-India lockdown like last year, when we were going through a first wave of the pandemic, with the Prime Minister himself calling it a last resort this time, there is, however, fear that the second wave may extract a large economic cost. The week gone by has been an indication that the current wave of the outbreak is much bigger in scale and severity and could lead to more uncertainty in the economic environment of the country. So on the big picture today, we will try and analyze the kind of impact the ongoing second wave of the COVID-19 outbreak could have on the economy and the risks it poses to the gradual recovery of the economy that we have witnessed in the past few months. Joining me on the program, let me first introduce them to you. I'm joined on the show today by Dr. Subhash Chandra Pandey, former Special Secretary and Financial Advisor, Ministry of Commerce and Industry, Government of India, and Mr. A.K. Bhattacharya, Editorial Director, Business Standard. Thank you to both my guests for joining me on the big picture today. Mr. Bhattacharya, let me begin the program today with you and let me let, let's try and understand first that, you know, just what we are seeing is that just as we have begun to show signs of economic recovery, now we have been hit by this massive second wave of COVID infections. How do you see this much more severe second wave of the pandemic impacting the Indian economy? Well, you have to uh, first uh, understand uh, the way the second wave uh, has been far more virulent and far more rapid in its spread than the first wave. Just by way of example, uh, the first wave uh, took about four to five months uh, to reach its peak in September. And the peak at that time was around 98,000 cases in India per day. And with a fatality rate of the number of the death tally being around 1290 or 1290 people, if I remember correctly. So in September middle, we saw the first phase peak and the first phase peak was reached over a period of four and a, four and a half months or five months. And that peak also very gradually receded over the next four to five months. And by February middle, it reached, declined to a level of around 9000 cases with around 100 cases of death. Now, uh, so if the nature of the first wave uh, was slow rise to the peak and a slow decline from the peak to a low level, manageable level. But in contrast, the second surge, what we have seen, is from February to March, the middle of February to middle of March, if you take a one month or a four week thing, it rose, first the rise was a bit slow, from 9,000 cases to it went up to 26,000 cases. But from March to April middle, it went up to 200,000 cases. So 9,000 in March 15, 26,000 in middle of April, uh, middle of March. And in the middle of April, it went up to 200,000. And by a third of week, it crossed 300,000. So you can see, the enormity of the pace at which it is it is rising 
and which is why this second wave is of a different type it is of a different strain we are told it is not the earlier strain uh, that affected the indians uh, this is a triple variant or double variant or whatever it's called uh, these are the epidemiologists would explain but the nature of this spread of the virus has actually uh, uh, impacted uh, all sections of the economy of course the healthcare sector the government's preparedness has been has been you know called in question uh, but the economy is also uh, also uh, will be impacted right now if you see the countrywide lockdown is not there there are only about six states which have declared uh, a lockdown of sorts uh, and there are uh, many other states which have gone in for night curfew or weekend curfews so you don't see the same kind of the lockdowns that we saw them the first three months of the earlier the first phase so therefore what i am trying to say is this that you may not immediately see its impact but my reading is that the second phase being much more severe much more virulent uh, the 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 confidence level in the economy will be will will take a big hit already already you have seen the various forecasters analysts have scaled down the earlier growth estimates by at least 1 percentage point nomura has brought it down from 13.5 to 12.6 you have jp morgan which has brought it down from 13% to 11% is a 2 percentage point decline you have seen uh, the the ubs has brought it down from 11.5 to 10% so there is a 1 to 2 percentage point decline uh, you have already seen uh, in the growth estimates for the current year reserve bank of india which is which was initially was very very conservative i would say in terms of growth estimates had projected a growth rate of 10.5% for the full financial year and it remains uh, committed to that kind of a forecast that 10.5% will be the growth rate now there are last point i would make that there are various ways of looking at how the impact on the economy will 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 pan out um uh, you know the 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 various uh, the the economic activities Uh, will uh, be impacted uh, in a staggered way in my view uh, the 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 workers and the the employment will once again be impacted once again will be staggered way uh, and i think the companies uh, particularly in the in the the touch industries or the experience industries like tourism hotels uh, travel uh even like uh, the, the 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 transport aggregating companies like uber and ola they will also be impacted so i think its its impact uh, cannot be underestimated uh it will be substantial uh but uh, if you would see the 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 sharp rise of the 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 covid cases you can also uh, in a sense speculate that the decline will also be sharp so hopefully hopefully you will see a shorter span of the 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 disease impacting the economy and the economy can hopefully come back 
to its its earlier pace and the vaccine rollout uh, should uh, be an important factor how it is rolled out how the states roll out so it's a combination of factors that will determine the pace of the economic growth in the remaining few months of the current financial year absolutely so the the impact cannot be underestimated but going forward how can we lessen the impact is something that i'll come come back to you and understand what are the steps the measures that the government needs to take in order to prevent an economic shock like last time when we underwent a first wave of the virus but uh, let me go to dr pandey looking at the scale and severity of the current wave of infections dr pandey is of course worse than what we witnessed last year although it was the first time we didn't know the enemy the challenges were of course new but this time as well looking at the severity the enormity of the second wave that has brought us down to our knees do you think it is going to derail the economic gains that we have made in the past few months uh tina as uh, mr bhattacharya outlined the first uh, uh, first peak was slow to build up and slow to decline uh in by middle of september we had peaked to about 95000 which uh, uh, toward middle of february it had come down to around 10000 12000 and even till march end it uh, went up to 22000 april has seen very sharp very sharp spike and from uh, crossing a lakh uh, on 3rd april and now we are seeing 3 and a half lakh which has uh, led to a uh, active cases of 26 lakhs so this is a, a big negative uh, but to evaluate economic impact first of all in the midst of a raging war it is very difficult to do any exercise of damage assessment Absolutely. because the data points are not uh, uh, there are not very many dynamic data points that are coming uh, so we 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 can do some sort of a comparative vis a vis what happened in last year's lockdown exercise in uh, march april may and in what sense this is going to be different in a way positively and negatively so one one thing uh, we uh, emphasize that last quarter first quarter gdp contraction was about close to minus 24% on a quarterly basis and it was such a deep cut that uh, all estimates say that this we will not be able to make up by the year end and it will be minus 25% we still recoup and we'll say it is about end up by minus 7 minus 8% the year will end now what is different this time first the the lockdown from uh, in the beginning uh, covering last week of march the cycle of our economic activity that march uh, last week plays an important role government and public sector are a major player so that was covered in the lockdown and it was a near total lockdown so it uh, affected both uh, the demand and supply and the consumption was cut down to basically bare minimum even uh, the, the, the even when you were not having offline sales you are uh, allowed online sales that was also for essentials so the uh, the demand was severely curtailed uh, and supply lines were also but then what the recovery we saw economic recovery from uh, september onward that matched much more than 
they decline in cases because they they the enemy was uh, uh, known by then and many sectors of economy except the uh, contact industries travel tourism hospitality they have been badly bruised the train and rail uh, the train and air services are not operating to their full potentials hotels and hospitalities uh, all are affected and their recovery is further postponed contact industry but in many areas of economic activity the the offline taking to online the indian economy has shown great resilience and our digital uh, india whatever progress we have made in uh, whatever investment we have made they have uh, uh, proved very useful during this phase they have allowed sustenance for vulnerable people uh, in terms of direct benefit transfers etc mm-hmm. and also a, a lot of activity has moved uh, whatever can be moved has moved to digital so that has sustained so that momentum i believe it will be sustained even during this period the digital and the more and more it is adapted and more and more the lockdown is not near total it is regulated it is partial there are business hours so the on that account alone the damage is not going to be as great as the last year today which was a near total Absolutely. the second thing to notice is that in this second wave what we notice in april that the even this uh, even though it is uh, suspected that this high infectious rate is because of a number of new mutants we have double mutant uh, uh, noticed in maharashtra and now recently triple mutant in bengal so the the uh, population affected numbers are very large and a lot of uh, uh, otherwise healthy young indians are falling prey to it they are recovering also but they they the peaking is so sudden they recover they will it will take time to recover and go ahead but the case fatality rate fortunately continues to be low it will definitely dent the overall consumer confidence level uh, the discretionary expenditures will be postponed but uh, the again uh, say uh, taking note of the pluses and minuses the damage would not be as sharp as it happened last year and okay. the recovery would also be equally fast in the quarter okay okay mr bhattacharya so the situation if we compare it to last year uh, during the first wave is quite different from what we are undergoing what we are experiencing uh, at present but in terms of the challenges how different are they and in terms of preparations how prepared are we this time around to prevent the shock to our economy considering all the other sector the service sector that you rightly pointed out earlier on because for them this period of uncertainty has been prolonged uh, i think yeah you, you have uh, touched upon a very important issue uh i think uh, uh, while uh, uh, this uh, second wave uh, might go away maybe by the end of may or early june uh, if it has been so sharp and rapid rise so one can expect that the fall will also be rapid uh, but uh, it will leave uh, its impact and leave the scars on on various segments of the economy number 1 uh it will once again uh, increase the risk aversion among consumers in a sense that uh, 
uh, the people, uh, consumers will once again uh, be very, you know, risk-covers. Risk-covers meaning they will not like to fly again. Uh, they may not travel. They may not go out and spend money. Uh, they may not like to uh, meet up uh, with uh, more people. The wedding uh, uh, functions will become even more rare. Now, so therefore, with this risk aversion, it will immediately impact one of the, the major legs of the Indian economy, which is the consumption, which is more than 60 or 66 percent of the, the total economic activity uh, pie. So risk aversion, it may continue. Yes, there is vaccination, but the vaccination rollout that we have seen, we have lost some precious few weeks because of this spike. If you have seen the vaccination rate, it has already come down from, from around 3 million per day to around 2.5 million per day, and it may actually continue to remain low till the government can redirect its focus uh, to vaccine rollout. Now, once the vaccine rollout takes place, and that will be completed not before the end of this financial year. So I think the, the, the positive impact which we could have received uh, by way of improving the risk aversion, uh, the matrix, the reducing the risk aversion of people and the consumers, I think that will be delayed. That is number one. Yeah. And number two is, uh, is uh, while the economy uh, has the, there is a lot of liquidity in the system, but uh, uh, is uh, what you have to see is that the banks are, are gone back into a shell. They are not lending money. If you look at the credit growth, the credit growth uh, in the last two weeks have been 5.5%. And on an annualized base basis, it, it probably was 6%, uh, compared to 13% the year before. Now, if credit growth does not pick up, then, then, then the, the, the productive sectors of the economy cannot come back to their, their natural pace of activity. And that is a very, very important uh, you know, element that we need to keep in mind. And uh, already people have become very conservative. If you look at the, 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 the prevalence of cash in the economy, that has once again gone up, the, the cash with the people, because people are a little scared. So there is that element that things are not all right. It is not fair. It is not safe to go out. Don't do this. Don't do that. E-commerce supplies of even uh, uh, non-essential items have been barred. So therefore, on the whole, the impact, in my view, will probably be, be quite severe. What can the government do and what can the authorities do? I think the government will have to look at the investment side once again, because the consumption side will not recover very, very soon. Yeah. So government should actually re rededicate itself in boosting more in investment, creating more infrastructure projects so that they can bring back the people, the workers into those work sites. Uh, the important uh, key drivers which will determine the long-term growth. You know, this, this year's growth will be, will be statistical. In a sense, over a 8% contraction that uh, Dr. Pandey talked about last year. I mean, this year's growth, uh, even after the second wave, will still be positive because of the deep contraction that you have seen. But if you look at the actual size of the economy, actual size of the economy will not even reach the same size that prevailed at the end 
of 2019. So therefore, it is very important to for the government or for the agencies, the new development financial institution that is being created to to trigger more 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 investment in the economy. And if the government can get back to its budgetary promises of monetizing the assets, privatization of the banks and the PSUs as soon as possible, once near normalcy returns, I would say that will be hold a key to uh, how soon can the economy come back to its original pace. But this year, it will definitely be not what we had earlier projected. And next year's growth will depend on the kind of steps in terms of investment, in terms of demand generation, those steps are taken in the current year. Although this time, Dr. Pandey, there is a stronger hope for stabilization and recovery because uh, last time we didn't have vaccines, the enemy was new. This time, the vaccines are there. There is a lot of hope that the vaccination process, if the pace of vaccinations is increased, it could be the key to economic recovery. But besides that, what else can the government do at the moment to ensure orderly conditions in the financial markets, preserve financial stability, and also, of course, to stabilize from the challenges of the second wave of the pandemic? You see, uh, you know, there, are, there are three positive factors uh, which uh, continue and are going to be major drivers for economic boom in, in the coming month. And there, uh, there are some things on which the government has to wa work. The three are the rural demand, exports, and infrastructure. The government in the budget has paid, uh, 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 put a, a lot of emphasis on, on uh, capital expenditure in, in out of 35 lakh uh, crore budget. Uh, more than 5 lakh crore is capital expenditure, which has a multiplier effect. Uh, as Mr. Bhattacharya rightly said, ours is a consumption-led economy. If it is 65% consumption, 35% uh, uh, capital. So if uh, uh, consumption goes down from 65% to 60%, can investment grow from 35% to 40% to maintain the same level of GDP? That is one. As I said, the rest of the world, there are uh, uh, different shapes of recovery uh, taking place at different days. Uh, so an export front, we, we, we have to put uh, our house in order and we continue there. We have uh, playing a very small role right now, 2% of the uh, world uh, trade. So that, that is one that can give us uh, this thing. And rural economy, the, the, this, uh, the crisis, as we see right now, the numbers are scary. But this is concentrated in uh, um, some high concentration urban centers. Rural India, fortunately, is insulated by and large, statistically speaking. And the, uh, the agriculture growth has been very satisfactory. So we, we hope that that is the part. Now, where the government has to uh, look into more some of these things are coming. The banking sector, very rightly, the credit growth is not going up. The, if if the uh, even the um, uh, um, the deposits are say one one la one forty four lakh crore, the credit is hundred lakh crore. There is uh, plenty of money lying uh, idle in there. So what what is institutionally done to enable banks to lend more aggressively? As far as MSMEs are concerned, government has taken uh, a lot of steps to boost uh, more than two lakh three lakh uh, crore of uh, credit as we speak. Is, is being injected since uh, last October. 
and uh, the pre-package uh, pre for the IBC, uh, their insolvency threat uh, is not there and to rescue them from that. Those efforts are on a policy front are being taken. But how to boost the credit, whatever is required to boost the bank, the, the scare for NPA has gone far uh, too far, too excessive. And uh, most of the public sector banks, which we see, they have gross NPAs of, if they have gross NPAs of 8%, net NPAs are of 2%. Because most of the NPAs are already well provided for in the balance sheet. So uh, this uh, NPA scare uh, has been overplayed. So government has to douse that fire and uh, make in institutional efforts to see that the banks lend more aggressively. Secondly, depending on the outcome of the second wave, there may be a case which was deferred for the fire and the, the government repeatedly said, when the time comes, we will do that. That is about a, a real fiscal stimulus. Real fiscal stimulus, putting money in the hands uh, or boosting consumption. That would also take into account uh, re restructuring of uh, GST and uh, besides putting uh, di direct fund transfer in uh, for example, for government employees, the uh, DA was frozen. That uh, DA fro uh, frozen DA will be uh, restored from 1st July. But uh, like that, many more things uh, will be done to not uh, to put more money in the hands of people to disincentivize saving. The interest rates are going down, and that the aggressive uh, strain is that that the bank should lend more, people should spend more and not be worried uh, too much about negative. Absolutely. So various measures that may be required in the times to come, a policy response, adequate policy response to both the crisis at hand and the crisis that is to come so that, you know, the government is prepared from to address the catastrophic impact of this uh, raging pandemic, the second wave that we are witnessing, and all kinds of preparations have to be put in place if we are to ensure that we do not see, uh, see the kind of impact, the recession that we had to face last year when a pan-India lockdown had to be imposed. Back then, the focus was on saving lives. This time, the approach is to save lives as well as livelihoods. So with that, I'll have to call it a wrap on this edition of The Big Picture. Thank you once again to both my guests for joining me on the program and putting forth your perspective with us, sharing it with us and our viewers as well. Pleasure having you on the show. So with that, I'll have to call it a wrap on this edition of The Big Picture. But an appeal to all our viewers, do stay safe. The second wave of the pandemic is really, really threatening, especially for the youngsters. If you can, stay at home. But if at all you have to step outside, make sure you are masked up, maintain physical distancing, and also keep washing your hands regularly, sanitizing them, take care of yourselves and your families. We're going through really unprecedented times, but we will sail through this crisis as well. Take care and goodbye. Thank you for your time. Thank you.